0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 41 of Caster Calls with Zombie Grub. I'm here with Boopasaurus, Rex, it's a Twitter <laughs> handle anyways. Um, You have a preferred name.
1: Uh, Yeah, you could call me Boop. My name's Chris, so a lot of people just went with Boop uh, a lot of the time. And it's funny, like, when people, like, introduce me, they'll be like, hey, this is Richard, this is, you know, Megan, and this is Boop. It's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> okay, I guess that's a, that's a sign.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's who you are. Um, but most well known for TFT commentary, yeah? So
1: Yeah, um, and some old school Overwatch.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, we'll get into, I guess, a bit of that um, <laughs> as well as we uh, dive kind of into your history in esports, what we like to do here on this podcast first. So what got you to where you are now?
1: So what got me to where I am now is Barcraft from back in the day. I think it was like 2016. I had just turned 21, and there was a Barcraft event happening during, I think, BlizzCon um, uh, at my local bar. And what was really cool about it – oh, it wouldn't have been BlizzCon because it was on a Sunday. Um, It's weird that I know that. But uh, it was on a Sunday, (laughs) and I got – you know, and full disclosure, I got hammered at like six o'clock at night, right? And then I was like looking around, and I was like, "This is, this is esports, right?" And I was like, "Let's let's keep doing with this." And I was um with someone at the time who was a pretty hardcore gamer, and I was like a really big gamer back in the Sega Genesis day, like Street Fighter, still like my main title that I'm like best at. Um, but you know, after that, I was like, "Yo, this could be really cool." And then uh, I went to a couple more bar crafts, and I was like these commentators are really awesome. Like I, you know, I like what they're doing. Is this something that I could be good at potentially? Um, I was a music major at the time. So I, I always liked performing and I like attention, which is like the perfect combination for a caster. Right. And, um, the, and then eventually, um, Overwatch came out and my local arena, uh, land arena clutch gaming, um, which was, super successful back in the day was like um they needed casters and a week earlier i was at a hearthstone tournament and i got eliminated literally first out of everybody um and someone didn't show up and they're like hey we need a caster and because i casted that hearthstone tournament they introduced me to the overwatch team which ended up being carbon entertainment which ended up being overwatch contender season zero which was the overwatch league uh, preamble um Mm -hmm. yeah so that's kind of how i got there
0: Hey. All right, so I mean, kind of a classic story, really, in esports, but a bit more updated for this. Uh, I feel like the current generation. I've I've seen a bit of a split sometimes when I talk to people about. I, I've talked to some real like OGs who were there, like when StarCraft Two came out, um, and then I've talked to a lot of people who, yeah, I would say around 2015, 2016, kind of their rival of Overwatch. Uh, talk about their journey there and granted because i've talked to some overwatch people but (laughs) just in general it feels like that was another another boost for esports it felt like that's another kickoff that happened was that era and more and more attention was was given to it so you start off with overwatch um did you get into this with a thinking that this would become a career or was this very much just casual and for how long
1: um so it was Man, I waffled on the whole, is this a passion or is this a job thing um, for a really long time? And I obviously love being in that middle because I was a music major too, right? So it was like, you know, once something that you love becomes your job, there's always like this weird thing that can kind of happen. It's like when you're a waiter at a restaurant, do you eat at that restaurant still? Um, But. At first, it was like for fun, right? And I think it was just as an excuse to put some time into it and take time away from some other stuff in my life. But after that first Overwatch cast, I was like, I have not felt this because I had admittedly lost a little bit of that music passion because it did become my job. And when I was in high school, it was a much more therapeutic experience for me. And music school was so competitive that like, the amount of friends you had was like determined by how good you were at mm. your instrument. And I was a tuba player, and so it's like... <laughs> This doesn't really, you know, match up. I don't feel like the tuba should be this ridiculous, but, um, (laughs) you know, after that, I actually ended up selling my tuba, um, to my professor. And the first time I had felt actual joy in work that I did was during that Overwatch for that very first Overwatch cast. And I was like, I just don't ever want to stop this. It reminded me of like a teacher high, right? Like something (laughs) that just is almost addictive. Um, And then after that first kind of go around, slowly but surely, things started like clicking in my mind that, hey, I'm good at this. Um, And at the same time, I was in a sales job. So um, I was in the entertainment industry. So I was already kind of frequenting a lot of these people. And then after about six months or so, I got an established partner, Ham Tornado. Um, who is awesome, who owns a business now, by the way, um, is, uh, and I found my partner and then we kind of sat down and we're like, we're going to do this. And she was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And so I quit my job <laughs> and, Dang. um, it ended up working out there for the first couple of years. And then, yeah. So I think that kind of covers it.
0: Yeah. I, I think I followed her on the same time that I followed you, but then, it, yeah, as you say, I think she was moving away and then, yeah. Congrats on the business. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, but also what's really cool is that I do think, again, with that kind of era 2015, 2016, and Overwatch being what really propelled a lot of people into an interest in, in in esports. We also found a lot of pairings. A lot of found a lot of partnerships and put an emphasis on partnerships that I had not really uh identified, I suppose. In in my scene, we had a couple of duos, but then it really was never the duo you'd go to a (laughs) tournament and you'd you'd mix and match every single place so when you can find that person who you gel with then also can come become a a bit of a business partner is is really awesome when um i guess when it when the the you know life happened you guys started to move away and move into different things did you find it more difficult to really like i guess get reach out and do things you didn't have that support or you were already kind of in the
1: groove so you just kind of carried on So that's an awesome question, by the way. I've never been asked that before, Um, but it is – it was very hard, I think, at first. So Ham and I were the type of partnership where we – it was almost a negative because we were never taken separately, ever as, as a pair, she would do other things. But for me, I was definitely, it was and ham, right? Like it really wasn't, you know, other things. And that was our vibe and that was cool and that was great. Right. But once that kind of stopped, I was like, Oh, I literally haven't worked with anyone else in a year and a half. And the idea of coming up with that same type of synergy again, right. It was like, I divorced someone. (laughs) right <laughs> and like i needed to like and i was comparing it and it's funny like this is a funny story like ham um, lives in colorado too so that was we were really lucky when it came to that um and i like took her to like my doctor appointments <laughs> because like i needed like second opinions on things so like i took my husband and then what i called my work wife um, maybe because she had like medical experience in the back end and that's how close we were like she lived here um uh, for all through contenders um i sp- i mean she's still probably one of the best friends i've ever had in my life um and then we got separated um so i got dropped from contenders and then they kept her on and this was a moment of what do we do now right what is happening and then she made the decision um i think she probably got covid like two years ago in germany um and throughout that decision she had to have some time to think and was like you know I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Right. And she kind of figured out that she was kind of doing it for me. And I was, and she was still kind of working and I was the one that was kind of driving the passion. And that was the, that was different for example uh, than before. And she kind of took that as a hint of my heart's not in it. I don't want to take a spot that, you know, someone else would absolutely love and um, you know, good luck, Chris, but I think I'm out. And then um, I was like, Okay, well, I'm glad this happened, because now I don't have that, like, will she come back, you know, (laughs) Um, and from that moment on, I was like, okay, I have to work on myself, because I had been kind of riding on her coattails at the very beginning of our thing, and then I had been growing, and eventually I was like, I need to make a name for myself in this industry right and something that i noticed was throughout my entire time in overwatch and even uh not less recently in tft because tft casters are quite diverse um i was the only gay person that i talked to and that like in in that entire that entire time pretty much um i think ham and i um were the first um you know queer duo to be on an overwatch broadcast um and so you know there's a lot of stuff that came with that too i'm sure we're going to talk about but that was hard because I didn't even have that either. Like when someone would be like, yo, your voice is annoying. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, I couldn't go to ham and be like, and she couldn't be like, yeah, I know. Like she knew she, she empathized. Um, but I think it ended up being one of the better things because I did end up, making a name for myself, not just as a caster, but as a person who's gonna advocate and, and train. And, you know, I, I'm very proud because a lot of the people that I helped get started are getting signed now to, to agencies. And, you know, the joke is once you work with me, you'll get your real, your dream job. Um, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully one day that I'll get to be, but um, no. And, and that's what I realized I really enjoyed was helping right and if i took myself in my own kind of turf protection out of things working with anyone was fine right and then once i kind of landed on that it became hey you know we're a partnership and what i learned from ham and i is that once we're on screen we're a duo We, we can't leave right so we might as well do the best that we can and that's really i think rocketed me up recently especially in the tft community
0: all right that was um I was, it, it, there's a lot of like in there, I suppose. Um, yeah. so first off, you said that like you actually got dropped when, when Ham didn't. So was that also a big, I guess, catalyst for your improvement? Um, like what, was it a combo? Was it really more Ham leaving? Was like, cause I imagine that someone, when you're partnered and they're like, we want that person, but not you. I mean, I gotta yeah. imagine that was a bit of a gut punch, but how did you take that?
1: Um, So I can't specifically say how I was told, but I was also notified in a pretty awful way. Um, I'm just going to say it, whatever. Um, She told me. Uh, The company didn't. So I found out through her, and I didn't know I was officially dropped until the next talent announcement, which Mm. um, made me really mad. But also, if I didn't get mad, the best way to motivate me is to be like, I don't think you could do that right right and then i'm like well screw you let me see i love being the underdog right um and you know honestly i was on contenders for 3 seasons and i think i kind of coasted that last season to be honest with you um i was super you know mentally drained there was a lot of controversy when it came to ham and i as like the type of casting that we were doing because it wasn't necessarily, I think what contenders wanted, but what's really funny is that now everyone's casting like we were, you know, three years ago. It just wasn't, we just missed the the timing. I think the timing wasn't there. Um, oh, but
0: could you explain a little bit about what you think that was, what they wanted and what it is now.
1: So we were always told pretty much to actually take our individuality away was almost a lot of our feedback was to be more, normal i guess like more uh traditional uh when it came to casting because ham and i are funny i'm just gonna put that out there <laughs> right <laughs> ham and i were really funny and we would joke and we would like get on each other and it's really funny because a lot of the casters now are a lot looser and a lot better at you know that banter and conversation whereas that was what we were best at but a lot of people were like we'll never put you on a final because you're not you know, you're not representing what we think you we want right now. And I think at the beginning stages of Overwatch, they were really kind of going for that clean, sterile, right, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I totally get it. Like, that's a direction you can go. Um, but I don't think, I think they missed a little authenticity there, to be completely honest. Um, and then we, you know, I think suffered from that. And we did get, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that happened too um, on on the back end. But in terms of What I think we brought to the table, which was, hey, come watch this game with us and enjoy yourself, right? We're going to teach you, but you're also going to have fun, right? Uh, Kobe from League of Legends is kind of how we modeled all of that. Um, And, you know, it's really funny because while our fans weren't loud, um, we had a lot. And I wish I was confident enough in myself to kind of be like, no, stop telling me to sound less gay. Right. That was feedback that I got. Right. Was your voice is too gay to be a commentator. Um, Like, and that was feedback I got from like four people. (laughs) Like it was, and I literally went and took voice lessons to sound Mm -hmm. more masculine. And that was a moment where I was like, this is not okay. Right. I'm like literally changing myself because of, you know, someone's opinion. And, you know, while I think there might have been some, you know, health things, I wasn't talking very healthily at the time, but, still i knew kind of what it was um and that was coming from you know other talent other higher ups there and you know i think if the environment was a little different to you ham and i probably would have been a lot more successful but there's also some internal stuff in terms of relationships that i think affected us a little bit but at the end of the day i do think that castings especially in overwatch has come away from the sterility and has been a lot more personality driven since for example like lemon and lake day Who I think are the the currently the best casters. Um, my favorite casters in Overwatch. Um, I like them all, but there's just you know they give that little extra spirit, and I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I interviewed both of them, and I really enjoyed it. Um, we're both uh leg days, very funny. A, like cheery guy and i then, wish i had
1: that voice man yeah, how unfair yeah, is it to have it. that voice yeah, in broadcast yeah. right
0: <laughs> exactly and then like, kiwi is just you know she has like a
1: drive that is just i think unparalleled it's, so far she makes me tired like observing what she does <laughs> you, you know <laughs> like i'm a grinder you know but like <laughs> like not like she's a like she's always going it's yeah. mad respect to her
0: yeah yeah but um yeah, I think that's what I was going to guess, honestly, was you were gonna talk about the beginnings of Overwatch being a bit yes, sterile. It just was very much trying to go for this NFL clean look, which, you know, a lot of time also included white guys. Mm-hmm. Um and they were they were aware that they, they needed some representation, but they never really got super far uh on the, on that subject. Um, but it, it has gotten better. I absolutely agree. I think that everyone's been allowed to like spread their wings a little and actually show off their personality. And it just, they could only keep such a tight rein anyways. It felt like for, uh, (laughs) you know, their attempts, even if they still thought it was the best thing to do. I really wonder how long they could have continued with it. Mm-hmm. But glad to see that you guys like you specifically found the confidence to be like, wait a minute, hold on, like I would have done better if it was different timing. Because I think it'd be very easy just to be like, yeah, I guess I'm just not cut out for it. You know, this is wrong voice, <laughs> wrong appearance. You know, I'm I'm far behind or far ahead of the times, rather, maybe in yeah. ten years or something like that. But it seems like you've adapted very well.
1: Well, something I say a lot, and this is something I say to a lot of people that I mentor in this space, is that there are people who are shields and there are people who are spears, right? Uh, people who are shields will block you from what's going on behind you, right? But that's about it. They, they might not help, but they'll, they'll lead you through. I like to say that I'm a spear, right? Where I'm like going to be like, stick it to the man, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, no one's hired you before. Let me pay you for this. And then, <laughs> you know, and, and be what i want the esports industry to be because i didn't get to experience that right and you know there's something um out there it's really funny because i was also thinking about the fact that other gay people in the industry that i've met i've been weirdly competitive with and i've always wondered why Hmm. right and i think it's just because you know we're just so used to being the one gay person or the one girl on on a broadcast right um and you know, eventually I was like, we gotta stop that. And so, you know, I've given up opportunities um to give other people opportunities. And I wish that that could happen more because, you know, I got the experience, you know, I got flown out, I I went to LA, I own my own company like you now, and I did my thing. And I and now it's time for me to pass that on and hopefully help someone else who might be a little Chris who might think that their voice might not be good enough. See someone like me successful in the industry and doing things and talking to people and being accepted. And now that's what my driving force is. I wish I felt like that five years ago. <laughs> right. right. But the second I hit 30, I was like, Oh man. I'm old, you know, (laughs) it's like, I got to stop caring about this, you know, and um, you know, it still hurts when I read things online. And of, of course, you know, there's the odd comment on Twitch chat that, you know, will catch your eyes sometimes when you're VOD reviewing, but at the end of the day, I want to be able to talk the talk and walk that walk. And without that experience at the beginning of overwatch to physically be alone and have no support and no investment really from anyone other than me and my partner um other than the investment of opportunity that they gave us which of course i'm super appreciative of there were definitely some failures i think that could have really helped not just me and ham but other people like us um and not and not just an overwatch but just in general across the space
0: I think I've talked to enough casters that it's pretty much agreed upon that there's a moment in every casters life where they feel like they've hit a certain rock bottom. They've been denied the big opportunity or they, they thought that they deserve something else. And you either kind of come out of that very bitter and and <laughs> sad and just make things worse for yourself. Cause you also have examples of people like imploding, right? Yeah. When they don't get something, they have a bit of a tantrum and, or, or you get through it like an adult, no matter how long it takes. And Then you've come out the other end and you're like, Okay, I cared way too much about that thing. Make sure I have this other thing that I can focus on, or exactly. like clearly I had the wrong attitude. Like there was something with me. Um, you know, sometimes it is an intrinsic. You know, looking that's ne- necessary. You need to look at yourself and be like, what was I missing? And sometimes you eventually admit that it's external. You say like, yeah, I guess you know the the, the company is the one that messed up. I think I did deserve that, and whatever you want to yeah. do, but. No matter what, you don't go ballistic.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I've seen some meltdowns for some very small opportunities on Twitter. (laughs) Right. I'll never forget. One of my favorite things is like watching, um, like, you know, those discords with like all new casters and stuff and just seeing how every week someone just destroys their career for like no reason. (laughs) Right. And it's like, what are you doing, guys? Why are you doing this? But and they'll never blame themselves for that. Right? right? They'll be like, oh, it's this person did it. Or, oh, I thought I was a DM. Or, why did you tell them? But, you know, in esports, this is advice. Whatever, <laughs> just always assume that you're typing in public. <laughs> right? Mm. Um, number two, if the tweet feels good to tweet, probably don't tweet it out. And three, it's <laughs> one of my <laughs> biggest pieces of advice that I don't listen to. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's you can only control so much. Right. And I do right. think there were things I did wrong. There were definitely things I did wrong during that early casting time that I wish I had some time. And what's really sucked about it is I really peaked in my skill once I got dropped. I was like so excited to show them what I had brought to the table. And again, uh-huh. timing just got me. But like you said, you can either let that bring you down. You know, I stewed for about a month. And then finally I was like, you know, something happened. It's like this weird veil that like gets released. You know, I I did my little, you know, morning. And then, you know, I went right back onto the grind because- It's esports.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a bit what it is actually a bit of a grievance process. There's a, (laughs) you have to accept it eventually and and move on, but yeah, you gotta go through all five stages. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, It's going to happen. And um, (laughs) how how you work through it and who you are beyond it was going to be a lot more important. And I, I I can actually say that there's been examples of people who probably should have gotten, you know, a bit of a, a slap myself included for how they took things, but uh, because you know, me, them, whatever they they didn't go ballistic on like Twitter or social media. They kind of kept it mostly to themselves. Maybe a couple of Twitch streams that no one watched. You know, <laughs> they didn't. They ended up getting punished for it necessarily, but maybe you should have because it, it is dangerous. It's dangerous. You need to yeah. be very careful with how you approach these things. And mm-hmm. I, I've seen some examples recently with the Dota stuff. You know, yeah. of someone taking it uh gracefully, and then I've seen some not graceful.
1: Yeah. Takes well. On. And, you know, the hardest thing about our industry is that we're all competing with our friends, too. Yeah. So sometimes it feels like that they're like they get an opportunity and it's like they personally took that away from me, and it, which is like a weird thing that happens. But, you know, what I say is collaboration and competition can exist at the same time. And, you know, and this is where being a tuba player actually helped. There's always only one tuba. Like in an orchestra, you know, (laughs) like, you know, max in a band, there's four, right? So like, I've been denied for a lot of gigs, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so for me, it's like, oh, you know, good for you. You got the gig. You're better than me. Or, hey, good for you. You must have had a really great audition. I'm never like, you suck. I should have been there because, you know, everyone has their thing, unless it's like egregious, which sometimes it is. Um, But even then, how you handle yourself, like, I've hired casters because they've been graceful in defeat um mm. on the previous opportunity and been, like i sense uh you know some maturity and growth here and i think in three months you're gonna be ready right and then let's get you that opportunity and so you know i hope to see more of that
0: yeah that's awesome i think that's really important uh how people yeah handle their, their defeat and they should be given second chances and third mm-hmm. chances and, and all that good stuff um but so we we talked about your overwatch um stints and difficulties there uh continue on the sports story i suppose what happened after that
1: yeah so um after that i was pretty bummed and then i was like looking for partners in overwatch and then finally i was like maybe i should try a different game um and and i also kind of realized that maybe the target audience of overwatch wasn't who i was actually talking to um in terms of who might like me the most, right? And there's a little bit of strategy there um, as well. And then TFT came out. And TFT is not normally a game I would play. Like the only real card game I ever played was Hearthstone. And um, I don't know what happened because the first game of TFT I played, I was like, this is drugs. I need to keep playing. Um, (laughs) I love this game. Um, And then I got onto a podcast with Blevins, who's another awesome person in the industry. Um, And through that, um, I got into the TFT community and then Wisdom Gaming picked me up for um Fight Night and some other content. And I have to say, of all the, you know, complaints that I have with some of my other things, like I want to run my company like Wisdom. They're so diverse. I've not ever felt this supported in a company before. Not even just in esports, but just like in general at work, <laughs> right? Like I know that when I'm going in there that they have my best interest at heart right? Which I can't actually say for every game I've ever casted, right? Um, and they're just amazing. And the, they, they have really diverse casters. Um, uh, and it's just been awesome to work there. And the TFT community um, is a little older. Um, it's weird. It's actually really young or old, like the, like the 25 to 27 year old doesn't really exist, but like, there are a lot of like under 18s and a lot of people over 30, um, who play. And it's funny. Cause like, they'll be like, I have to talk to my wife. And I'm just like, that's not a thing I ever would hear in overwatch. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I got through that. And then once I, you know, through wisdom slowly, but surely through hard work. And this is another cool part about it is. Before, you know, I would always be like, oh, I got this gig because ham. Or I got this gig because of something else. With this, I got it because I worked my ass off. And um, that's what I'm, like, really proud about. And I've, I've reached um, levels that I never reached with Overwatch, for example. I did a Riot Sanction event not too long ago. Um, and it's just really cool because the dichotomy of anxious, depressed, I'll be whoever you want to be, Chris, you know, back in 25 years old, to, like, being rewarded for being me is just so cool. And I have to thank everyone at wisdom for that, but um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at now.
0: Oh, awesome. And your own company
1: oh yes Uh, I should probably talk about (laughs) that too Um, so I I run Monkey Bubble and we are a production company based out of Europe actually so um, I had my one year anniversary yesterday uh, January 6th um, uh, and what's been really cool is through that year we did a LAN at the Golden One Center in uh, San Francisco we're bidding on a bunch of really cool stuff and I'm just really proud because we're known as like an Overwatch company we run Overwatch contenders um, pretty much all a tier 2 Overwatch uh, for Blizzard but we're doing lands now we're doing rocket league we're you know partnering with colleges it's everything that i wanted it to be if that makes sense and again i have to thank everyone you know all my colleagues at monkey bubble because they're letting me be me right i'm selling like i want to sell like and they're supportive of that they might you know rib me every once in a while because they're all european and i don't get their jokes but (laughs) you know how many times i've said a joke to silence (laughs) Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. is it me? Am I not funny? Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they've you know, and we've gotten to grow because we're all supporting each other and and that's awesome. And I'm so scared that I'm not walking the walk, right? That I'm only talking about these things and I'm happy that through my leadership we've been able to come upon some really cool opportunities too. I
0: I couldn't help but think of one's very specific Europe versus America like joke <laughs> where it just was left hanging because I that's an experience. Um These Europeans as a whole, honestly, guys, (laughs) like you just, there's a, you know, specifically like Germans will have a very different humor and you like have to realize that, but
1: yeah, I, I think most of my staff is Dutch. Um, oh, okay. so they're also honest, which <laughs> which which hurts me sometimes, but it's great for work. Yeah. Um yeah. the Dutch guy in Ted Lasso is always like saying truth bombs. It's really funny. Um, but I'll never forget one day where I was like, Yeah, it was like my second day at work and I was like, I can't wait till I can get y'all like health insurance and they're like, Chris, um, we all have health insurance because 'cause oh. we're in Europe. <laughs> and it was like oh my god <laughs> i'm the only one that needs health insurance yeah um but you know other than some cultural um uh, combativeness uh it's it's awesome um we got people in australia we got people in the netherlands and germany and um we're we're really starting to grow i'm, I'm actually kind of like freaked out by february and march like looking at that schedule my eyes get really wide <laughs> right and and that's a good yeah. thing it's good busy
0: yeah. Nice. Uh, well, I don't want to skip over TFT, but I, I do want to talk a lot about the, the company and work, not whatnot, but just to touch on your TFT career. Um, yeah. How, how has it been getting into that community? So it, it felt from an outside perspective, I've, I've watched a little cause I've interviewed other people who do TFT. Um, but I have, I actually never even tried it. Um, But it seems like a bit of a smaller community, but it still has a ton of events. I feel like there's constantly retweets of of tournaments happening for everyone that I watch. Um, Was it an easy process? Do you consider it a small community or a large one?
1: It's like a very loud small community, right? Okay. It's kind of like... How I view Denver as like an esports community. There's a weird amount of people from Colorado in esports. Um, like Monte Cristo, for example, is from Colorado. Um, went to school here, uh, and so I kind of it, it's kind of like that where we have a much bigger footprint in the industry than you would expect. Um, it is like the eighth most popular game on Twitch right now. It's pretty crazy what's happening because. TFT is like a melting pot of players. It's everyone's game that they play when they're tired of their original game is whats what, is what yeah. I've noticed. Right. But it's also like the most amazing background noise in terms of Twitch streaming. Like I put it right up there with GDQ in terms of like the best second monitor Twitch experience you can get um, because, and the streamers are super um, interactive with their, with their fans. And I think that's a big reason why uh, our community has been so passionate because um, one, I, I have to say it again, wisdom has been a driving force in a lot of that stuff. Um, I think probably sixty to 70 percent of the content you see is probably going to be from them, even if the labels might be different. Um, and then on the secondary end, everyone's really nice. It's so weird <laughs> coming from some other communities where like some i I remember uh, watching a stream and they were watching their performance, and I cast it, and they're like, "Oh, I don't agree with that caster, but he yeah, got like his hat. And it was like, you know, that secondary comment never happened five (laughs) years ago, right? And I'm just happy that, you know, it's happening. But everyone's really nice. Everyone's open. And, you know, when things have happened in the TFT community that are negative, people have apologized and learned and grown. Um, I really like it. It is small-ish, but I think it's going to continue to grow. And getting into it is pretty easy. You just got to type in chat. And... Um, people end up just talking to you because everyone types in chat for a TFT because everyone thinks they're the best TFT player ever. Yeah, nice, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, to get into casting, it's a lot harder, though, um, right. because it is a smaller community. And, you know, esports is all about timing meets preparation, right? I mean, I got my start because someone did to show up. Right. Um, and so same thing with TFT. It's like, you just got to be ready for when that moment calls. But what's actually been really crazy is everyone who has casted TFT has gotten some things with Wild Rift, have gotten some things with all of like the secondary league experiences. And that mm-hmm. seems like a really cool funnel um, as well. And that's I definitely see more of that happening.
0: Interesting. So I I was going to ask a question and then I was like a new question popped in my brain. Um, do you consider I guess I'll, I'll start my first comment i do think it's a melting pot of games because it seems like it was one of those new genres so Mm -hmm. rocket league people have told me like similar things that they because it was a new genre like there was no one who had experienced casting rocket league that you could be from any other esport and just be like this is a cool game i'm gonna try casting and people be like wow awesome and there wasn't that entrenched like you Mm -hmm. know community feeling that you had to be an og from the previous set of games and whatnot uh do you think Auto Chess is the genre right uh kind of similar deal because I actually don't even remember the order of what released to be <laughs> It was honest, uh, so.
1: Auto Chess and then Underlords and then TFT um okay. uh, which was which was pretty much it but yeah I do only because it's like slots and there's like something like inherently addictive about it like i this is bad like when i first played tft there was like this weird like tingle on the back of my like neck where i matched my three people and i was like oh no (laughs) like you know when you're falling into an addiction right like i saw it happening in real time um when it comes to tft and i think the genre is just inherently addictive because some of the Best games on Steam. One of the best game Team Fight Manager on uh, Steam right now, is an auto battler. Um, Loop Hero, mm-hmm. who's nominated for most innovative uh, gameplay, is a roguelike auto battler. Um, and so it's actually getting into some other genres, which are really cool. But TFT is the standard, in my opinion. Like TFT is the best version of it. It's the prettiest version of it. It's the most well developed version of it. Um, and I think it's going to keep going because the developer support for TFT. They're too nice to us. Like they're too like they might be too communicative, uh, to us. Uh, and and their changes. But you know, it's awesome because again, coming from Overwatch, it was kind of different, right? The the team Mm. didn't announce anything until they had something. Whereas you know, in in TFT, it was like, hey, we're working on these things. We know this is a problem, and these are the things we're working on. So it's been it's been an interesting dichotomy.
0: Yeah, that's uh oof, time to get into the riot versus Blizzard conversation. Um, <laughs> that's what it popped in my brain. We we're talking about you know being a, a riot child, if you will. Um, the uh, yeah, start things off. Blizzard across the board. I think all of their esports have a grudge, if not sort of hate their 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 papa. Um, <laughs> Overwatch still gets the most attention, but even even they aren't getting very uh, a lot of communication or a lot of. It feels like. Uh, positive I mean, reinforcement they've
1: been like that for what 15 years <laughs> right like <laughs> what is blizzard is really good at releasing good games and then letting them stall out kind of is p-
0: pretty much how I feel sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah well i would say that for so they were never the best i would say that they were never the best i i would say that but they i think they were better um Mm -hmm. you know for starcraft specifically for me they they were there was clearly very passionate people who wanted to talk all the time they wanted to see starcraft grow and they fought for it every single time um and that included occasionally you know fighting for just communication Mm -hmm. now it's uh, anyways um but (laughs) but it's um it's come to the conclusion that Blizzard has not really been the forefront of, of esports like they wanted to be, especially when Overwatch came out. Even though that's very big, and I'm not knocking it in this specific uh, podcast, but the um, yeah, it's just it's not Riot really has pushed to the forefront as to like what you should be emulating when you're thinking about a humongous publisher with. You know, a lot of money and, and who wants to create a game because so far they've had all those hits similar to what Blizzard did with just video games 10, 15 years ago is where Riot is right now. It feels like for esports and they're not perfect before anyone comes in and is like, well, they did the stupid thing at this tournament recently. It's like, <laughs> of course, there's, there's no perfect, but yeah. they're doing really well. How do you feel um, being a riot child? Again, I'm going to use this terminology. Riot child, but one of the the, the lesser seen ones, right? Because a lot more attention is on League of Legends and mm-hmm. Valorant.
1: <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I knew kind of Blizzard shtick, uh, like, while I was kind of there, right? I knew their patches were slow. I knew some of the communication could be bad, but their games were always good, right? And Overwatch had the representation that I liked. You know, the the fact that their main character was gay. Uh, and that's who they released at blizzcon as as a gay man was like a huge like I, I couldn't tell you how important that was for me in terms of my forming my gaming kind of ideals right mm-hmm. and like being like oh this is what representation <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like i watched that uh, to all the boys uh, i've loved before right and i don't like rom-coms but i'm half asian and i was like wait a second this is the first time i'm seeing a half asian family like on, huh. on in a movie. And this is awesome, right? Because they were eating like hot dogs with rice or something like that. And I was like, I <laughs> ate that, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but And so that was something with Blizzard that I really, really liked that at the time, I don't feel like in like 2015, 2016, Riot really was there yet. Okay. Um, and I don't really think Riot hit that peak until the 10-year anniversary video. <laughs> Once Riot had the 10-year anniversary video, it was like, oh, they've been biding their time for like five years to release all this stuff. And Blizzard never reacted. And in terms of business, I was always a little confused by that. And then once they were like, hey, we've got indie games coming up, we've got all this stuff. It's hard when someone's like, hey, what should I look at in terms of how to be successful in this industry? If you're not saying Riot Games, they're creating an entire Marvel universe pretty much right now. Yeah. Right? Successfully. Um, Arcane is one of the best shows I've watched. Like it doesn't even have to be like, you know of any show it's one of the best shows i've watched and um being you know part of the riot side is really nice because i know there's gonna be events there's gonna be support and there's gonna be you know other things and you know blizzard has those things and they want to do those things they're going through some stuff right now <laughs> um <laughs> that that might be a little distracting um but uh you know blizzard had it in 2015 2016 right i think if once it was kind of like heroes of the storm hearthstone starcraft were all still making a ton of money Mm -hmm. right um because heroes of the storm was super popular for uh, a good amount of time um it was actually my 1st esporting like, live event was uh, Heroes of the Storm uh, with Gillyweed, who is another one of my inspirations, yeah. um, uh, who is my boss now, which is so crazy. Uh, <laughs> but She's awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll never forget her Sonya scream, legendary. But, uh, you know, being on that side, it's like, I feel like there's just, I'm on the ride still. Like, I'm on the tram, and we're still going, whereas, you know, Blizzard's still making a bunch of stops along the way, and they might get, you know, some time there, but... <sighs> it's hard for me to see the magic of 2015 and 2016, you know, before don't you all have phones, um, you know, you know, come back because there's the point where Hearthstone was the number one game in the world in terms of making money. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, that ended up falling off overwatch ended up falling off and it just doesn't, they might have things in the back end and as someone who you know i work with blizzard when it comes to contenders and stuff like that you know i want to be honest um and and, you know my feedback is always like you know authenticity is key and that's why i think the tier two community like with lemon and leg have been so successful um in that space is because they represent that community and they're finally investing in it so i see a little glimmer of hope there um when it comes to the future but everything's on pause until overwatch 2 right uh (laughs) it's it's Mm -hmm. tough man it's just like they'll make a good decision and then sometimes they'll follow it up and then sometimes they won't and then riot will be like hey we got a seventh game that we're releasing (laughs) you know and by the way it's good and so it's just tough not it's tough not to compare you know what i mean right
0: yeah, it's tough. Not, they are the biggest influences, I think, because you talk about Valve and it's very, very weird and different with Valve, um, who I guess would be the other humongous uh, mm-hmm. force in esports. But um, yeah, I, I never really kind of put it down to this, but you're right. So we, when you were talking about the 10th year anniversary video, it took me a while to connect the dots. That was the one where they announced they're going to do like a fighting game in yep. and all that. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, 2015, it really was, I think, one of the last super, super optimistic years for blizzard as a whole um not just a starcraft fan but as a general blizzard fan because that was that
1: blizzcon was awesome yeah it was was the blizzcon that overwatch got announced and you could buy the, the origins uh thing and i bought it on the floor and i remember like that particular blizzcon to this day is my favorite
0: it was a cool it that the fact that they hit it was a, is still actually I feel like a marketing marvel or something you know like it just <laughs> it's so impossible to hide something as big as that, um, but they did it I guess kind of under the guise of like a failed MMO right so it was a <laughs> weird trickery but um, that was awesome seeing that come on all the the video monitors and then we also had Legacy of the Void for us StarCraft people coming out so there's still a lot of hope in that um, but I'm I'm even thinking about the amount of people that I knew who were still at Blizzard who. And I'm not saying people aren't passionate nowadays. I'm sure they, they still hire very good people at Blizzard, but then the actual like, means to do their work, I think, is what's yeah. not there. Um, but from what I recall is there's so much more... like There's passion, there was a real drive to improve in multiple areas, not just making video games, but making esports was obviously something that was on the horizon. They wanted to be the esports people. And then actually uh, diversity was also still really becoming more and more critical. I had more conversations kind of around that era... With people who are like, how can we bring woman into the fold? You know, how can we represent better and, and whatnot? And that's when, yeah, Overwatch came out and it had this nice draw to it that CSGO is never going to have. Yep. Which is that you can play a woman. <laughs> you can play <laughs> like many things really. Yeah. Anything that you, you want, really. So yeah. there's a lot of representation and and uh that was the first, I think, big video e- video game esport that had a lot of women in it. Yeah people talking online that were like, yeah, I hear more women speak. And they're still not (laughs) hearing all of them because still, like, over 50% are probably just not going to use
1: mics. Yeah.
0: But it was there.
1: Overwatch has a super high uh, female player base as well.
0: Yeah. But then Valorant also did kind of the same thing and you can mm-hmm. see why you know it really does work i mean i would much rather be like sky is awesome she's australian she's buff i'm gonna play her and be yeah. like this terrorist looks cool <laughs> it's
1: just it's just it just it's obvious i actually think being a terrorist actually kept me from playing that game so i grew up well... in like a super army household right <laughs> oh, i I, I broke out of the way but like my i don't think my dad would have appreciated it at the time um but you're you know you're totally right because like Apex, I think, is another really great example of good diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Overwatch, ha- like, they had everything. I think that's why people get a little frustrated is because they had the foundation. Yeah. Like, they could have done it. Um, and then, you know, they they made some interesting decisions. You know, the pride icon this last time wasn't even called pride. It was just rainbow, which really <laughs> made me mad. Um, and so, like, your main character is gay, right? <laughs> like, the person on the box is gay. Um, but, like... You know, but it's cool to see because I think now, because how popular Apex, how popular Rainbow Six has gotten, because they've started to do these things, yeah. um, you know, everyone's going to have to do it that way, in my opinion. And and I think that's a good thing. And hopefully that elevates um, Blizzard and Overwatch, because Overwatch is kind of everything right now for them. Um, yeah, yeah. Until they release apparently they're working on a new title or something, um called Diablo. Um but the <laughs> uh, but you know, and that's supposed to have some PvP elements, but you know, you never know. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's the the future for riot seems brighter when it comes to uh to esports. They just have been knocking out of the park in, in many degrees. But then it sounds like in general you're just very happy to be along for that particular train ride being on, on riot. Um <clears throat> Expressways, i suppose uh <laughs> because you know sometimes i you know i guess specifically yes blizzard i'll talk to other forgotten esports like hearthstone poor hearthstone yeah biggest <laughs> game biggest game and then they push them over to youtube with absolutely no support whatsoever and then mm. they're like sorry I forgot about you guys and it's actually so weird. the
1: biggest game in the world for two years it's so actually weird. crazy how much money that that game made
0: yeah and then the 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 esport i could only figure was was worth it as far as how much p- publicity and marketing you can get for every single expansion
1: pack, but they just, they were like, whoops, we forgot about you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. And they were doing like super innovative events in Hearthstone. I remember they rented out Latte World in South Korea once. Oh yeah. Um, Like they were doing like theme parks and like, and getting like more like, and that's what I view as like city-based type of experiences. Like if you go to Chicago and you like somehow get an event next to the blob, that's going to be awesome instead of just having the same skin for every state. Right. But yeah, it's just When I look at Hearthstone, it's hard not to get a little disappointed because they had it. Again, they had it. They had it all under control. (laughs) It was paying for everything else, right? And then, you know, eventually you just had to spend thousands of dollars to keep playing. And, you know, it kind of just ended up doing it to itself.
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess there is that. uh, I don't think
1: TFT is as popular if Hearthstone doesn't fall off. Um, exactly when it does because there's a ton of hearthstone crossovers and a tft like hafu for example and dog
0: okay yeah that's that yeah, makes sense that makes sense there is also a pro league at Lottie world by the way back in the day <laughs> starcraft so i, I, I was Lottie there world. it was oh, it was fun it was fun. The raccoon
1: i had i had that was I, my like childhood my mom's korean and i went there when i was like five Uh, or six and i had it with me for like years it was the last stuffy that i that i had
0: so we went in october so like it was halloween themed and they had this fest they had this um um what is it called A the parade there we go a parade uh-huh. go around and it was like a disney parade except it was with the raccoon characters <laughs> and all i can remember is that they were weirdly like kind of sexualized like the, <laughs> like the woman <laughs> raccoon was she's just got, like i was just uncomfortable boobs. i'm very yeah uncomfortable.
1: she's got boobs i never
0: and they they'd come around and they play this really like hyper intensive song that would just be an earworm for you and they'd have like these dancing like furries and i'd be like i'm Okay, I'm going to you know watch know StarCraft now.
1: I guarantee someone discovered something that day <laughs> <laughs> about themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. <100%. laughs> if it wasn't you, someone else definitely did.
0: Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's an interesting point, that Hearthstone had fallen off. You're right about the crossover of the, the bigger streamers, which can always be also an interesting uh, effect to an eSport that's of a certain size. You know, mm. like, is it really, does it actually really help you guys that Hafu uh, plays TFT?
1: That is... A very good question, and I think every person who's involved in TFT eSports should think about this because we're one of the eSports where I think we're going to have to co-stream. Like, there's Mm -hmm. there's no way that you run a TFT event without co-streaming, in my opinion. And, you know, as a broadcaster, co-streaming can be a little scary sometimes right because you know if they're drawing 100,000 people right and the mainstream is drawing like 500 right um why would they pay me for the next one that's you know that's that's something i'm worried about sometimes but you know i, I think the whole holistic approach is the best way but you know when it comes to things like hafu is our statistics bloated because the top streamers play tft two days a week right? Uh, what is, like, what are these real numbers? Because when K3, Soji, for example, and Hophie aren't streaming, what's it going to be? And I remember talking, like, two and a half years ago, being like, I hope Riot supports the mid-tier streamers, right? Because they're the ones that are going to end up growing and being our people, and they ended up doing it. So I think it'll be fine, but we're going to have to talk about the whole co-streaming thing at some point, um, especially if Riot puts a nix to it or something. I don't know what their plans are, um, but co-streaming is going to be a huge debate uh here and like that'll probably be the thing that we talk about for the next year or so
0: right i, I agree co-streaming is a hot topic it feels like right now mm-hmm. and it's it's a hotter topic when it's actively happening so we don't have a big <laughs> tournament with co-streaming so there's not yeah. much conversation right now but you know i was definitely paying attention to people who had their their strong opinions on the matter when Valorant first started doing it and then the controversy when they Uh, Partnered people for co-streaming, and then those people didn't actually watch the tournaments. Um, Like it's, but it's a whole new thing. It's actually Mm -hmm. legitimate question for not just the companies that make these games and actually support them, but also for any tournament organizer, third party, or else why? Like, they do you co-stream? Is it actually beneficial? And I've read the negatives and positives, so I don't don't know where
1: you lie. Do you think it is a necessary evil? Is it evil? Is it just pure good? What? So this is one of those things that like. On the surface level, it makes complete sense to do, right? Right. But as I have, like, the unique aspect of also being a TO, right, Mm -hmm. at my job, which is I get really scared when people I don't know are talking about my product, right? Like, I don't want, you know, the streamer to watch my tournament and then just shit talk someone like on that stream the whole time, right? Because that was a little bit of a controversy with a league player um, a little while ago where he was just so negative, but he had 10,000 people watching. It was more uh-huh. than the mainstream, right? And that's where my like itchiness comes from is how much creative freedom are you going to give the streamer versus driving things to your main IP because the streamer will be getting the sponsors. The streamer will be getting these things. Your main IP might not. And so if you're a business, it probably makes more sense to stop co-streaming, but I don't think you can. I think co-streaming is awesome. I think I love watching it. Um, And I I wouldn't call it evil, but it's definitely like a necessary, I think thing to think about because access is what people want in this world right now, especially with COVID. We just want access to people. Right. And the co-streaming is a really great way to learn and be a part of a community. Um, it's just, they have to decide how the co-stream and the mainstream interact with each other because I have seen co-stream siphon a lot of viewers. Um, even mm-hmm. just like, heuristically, when like XQC would um, stream while we were doing Contenders, we'd have yeah. a, a marked lower amount of um, of people watching Contenders, right? So it's, what is the most important for them? Are the streamers bringing them that much money? I don't know those numbers, but this is the debate, friends, it's hard. It, yeah, it's not as yeah. easy as I think, people want to give it want to make it
0: right it's a necessary complication now i yeah. would put it it's it, there's positives there's negatives there's good runs and bad runs and i do remember that time by the way when the 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 public the community in overwatch actually made a thread and it was a very contested controversial thread but they were like do you think these guys should be streaming while <laughs> overwatch is on and this wasn't even for tier two which i would understand is Potentially taking away 75% of viewers, even this was for like the main league. (laughs) And I was like, if your main league has to worry about the guy streaming his pugs, then it's not great. Maybe we're not
1: talking about the real solution potential here, right? Because like the solution is in a perfect world streamers will get a cut of whatever they bring to the table they give the the you know producer or TO um a certain amount because they help them with assets or something but the it's new no one knows what those numbers yeah. are what is a fair number is it 60 40 is it 50 50 like who's doing the most work is the TO doing the most work because they're running the tournament and just giving the stream to the streamer right like there's so many business questions involved in this that just make me feel gross but also make sense <laughs> right right as yeah, a consumer yeah. i want co-streams on everything right, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know and, but and
0: you know not as a consumer too but i think a, of the um like tier two community i can't think of a better word for that but i'm talking about like the streamers and their day-to-day job is streaming not doing the casting or even casters weren't going to be participating in every single live event like i think we would also want co-streams it's it would be i think uh easy content uh, for us, but we're we're not supposed to do it right now. But it's a it's kind of a similar question to when we see all these sponsorships for uh, the big streamers, right? Like, who helped who more? Did Nakara Blade Point help Shroud? Or did Shroud help Nakara Blade Point? Probably yeah. Shroud helped the, yeah. the video game, and that's why he got paid an enormous amount of money to play it. But I'm sure there's other more contested, questionable ones amongst the mid-tier streamers, and now we're asking the same thing for code yeah. streaming.
1: And I, we have to have the conversation. And the hard part is, is like, in esports, I feel like you have to own a side, right? You either all in or all out. There's no like, let me just call, right? Or <laughs> I'm just going to check real quick, right? Um, let me just wait to see. And I think the nuance can get lost on this conversation because the business interest is important. It is important for our industry. If they lose interest in running tournaments, we just don't have tournaments anymore, right? All and right. all of a sudden we're depending on streamers to run tournaments, right? And, you know, you know <laughs> or something, full circle. right? It goes and back to like 1998. Exactly. Here, um, little lands. What I think will happen is, and this is all a theory. Um, I think that most productions will probably go to independent studios in the future. And then <laughs> Riot will just decide uh, <laughs> what they want for you know tournament by tournament and then after they get like the stats and stuff like that they'll probably make a a bigger decision because mm. you know they, they've been known to change their position on things like with uh crypto for example so you know they you know what they might think now might not be what they think in a year
0: true true uh but i, I want to get into a little bit of you being now on the you know, more business side behind the seat sign we have so little time in the podcast so bad um but you you transition into this period, uh, this this role that's more behind the scenes, and you get to see what all of those people's uh, decisions were when you were a caster. Uh, how did that transition go? Were you excited? I know you talked a lot about wanting to give people opportunities, and that's awesome. But I mean, just as like the the bureaucracy, the the actual like minute details of being an organizer.
1: I was probably one of the most prepared. And I'm going to be a little cocky here. The most prepared to make that transition. I'm a pretty strong networker just in general. Um, sales is my background. Um, so talking, I love talking to people. Um, I, I had the flu over the last like week and a half. And I literally said the words, I don't want to talk. And my company was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? You must be real sick. Um, and so... Going into it was a little easy. I had a little bit of talent management experience at EloHell for about six months. And that is probably what prepared me for the industry the most. Because what that did was people would get mad, man, about just anything. And I realized it was because no one was telling them anything. right? So they had this anger right, that they had to attach to something. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather them just all get mad at me. So they can work you know with each other and you know collaborate with each other, right and so and if they're upset at me, then we can engage in conversation, we can mentor, and we can do all that stuff and so my goal going into monkey bubble was to be just that, right? I finally got to use my teaching degree, <laughs> right um, I finally you know matured enough to run my own company, I was very confident that I was going to be able to do it, and I had the skills to be successful um it was pretty hard early on there was the culture shock was actually a little bit harder than I had anticipated it um, to be. I thought, again, I was a lot funnier than they thought I was. <laughs> but um, uh, at the end of the day, the transition was pretty smooth. Um, and and I think I'm privileged to be able to say that because of who I am, where I live, and the the area that you know I am in my life. But going into the business side, what I did see was. When people complain about diversity, when people complain about sexism, when people complain about racism, they are not lying, right? Mm-hmm. What I saw, like, as a talent manager, like, I remember um, <laughs> I, I did a little thing with one of my clients once where I staffed the entire tournament with women. Um, it wasn't, like, an all-women's tournament right it was just i happened to staff with people who identified as being women right and they came back at me and they were like this girl's voice is too shrill and i was like this is not okay right like and then i was actually working with a company that says that they're for women in gaming um and they complained about this person not having enough twitter followers and i was like but how Aren't you supposed, <laughs> you know what I mean? So even with people with vested interest in moving these things along, we're still not doing it, right? And so basically what I did was I raised our prices. Um, all of our casters get paid fairly. Um, they probably get paid more um, with us um, other places. We lose opportunities because of that, unfortunately, but I'm not gonna budge on that. And this goes back to what you said because of my background and the skills that I came in, I can go into these negotiations being like, no, this is why, you know, this tier two caster should be, you know, $575, right? This is what you're you're getting for $575. And that is where a lot of people I think are missing in esports. It's let me tell you why these numbers exist, right? They're, we're not literally just imagining them in, in yeah. word clouds and, and giving them to you. This is why, you know, four hours of work on camera is really like eight hours of work in real life. Right. And that's kind of what I'm really trying to do. And the the thing that I say is, We want to make esports feel like vanilla ice cream that you can add toppings to right so when you work with us we'll give you the boring stuff and we'll do like the base production so well and you tell us what toppings you want and we'll add on to that and that really makes sense for a lot more people um and it gives a lot more people opportunities and opportunities to get paid um you know and you know i got to do a collegiate land in california with collegiate casters um you know my alma mater was there that was super cool and just making sure that these opportunities continue to come for the company but also for the people is what i feel like i'm best prepared for and what my goals are so um going into the business side was a dark was pretty dark because it's gross here there's a lot of snake oil (laughs) there's a lot of snake oil in esports um you know i was on a panel and they're like why do you handle your own payments yourself why don't you pay someone else to do it and i was like with what money who do you think i am (laughs) like what do you think we do um and and it's like we got to set expectations and when you set expectations you set realistic expectations and when people finally get to see why this is important it's not oh that was really cool it looked expensive it's when a parent came to me and said i've never played rocket league before i came to this land and i can actually talk to my child and we play rocket league every day now right and i want that that that's what i'm going for every single day of my life as opposed to let's see what lasers and dubstep we can get in you know what i mean and and just kind of changing the course because i'm not the you know people ask me why i am even in in esports people like oh you're not you know the normal type of person that i talk to in esports and i was like you can just call me gay it's cool um but (laughs) (laughs) but the um overarching theme is just like Everyone has to be aware that these things exist. And while they might feel passive to you, they're very active to other people in our industry. And if I wasn't gay and if I wasn't, you know, half white and, you know, other than Chris Puckett, I don't feel like there's anyone who actually sounds like me in esports. Right. Chris Puckett's an amazing person. (laughs) Another one of my heroes. Um, But, you know, and I want to make sure that Chris Puckett's not the last Chris Puckett. Right. And I, I want to make sure that, you know, there are other people out there that people can go into because there are some people with hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, that claim to be esports, Um, and that's what they see. <laughs> right. And yeah. unfortunately, that happens a little too often. And I just get really scared of how much talent we lose because the first Google result is something that is bad to see.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's a whole. We could have gotten into that as well. uh, that's uh, but it's it's very beautiful, like sentiment, right? And I don't mean that as a uh, platitude, but it just it it is. I think that's what makes you probably very different. Is that I think you are you're very like energetic about making change. You're for as far as I know, sticking to your principles and (laughs) that you're in a position where you can actually help drive this forward. I think that that perfect combination, you know, that's what makes you unique. But, you know, yeah, also coming from minority background, being gay, being half Asian. Yeah, Yeah. that that gives you a perspective that a lot of people who are entrenched in the industry uh, don't (laughs) have.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, and being gay and being half Asian, I've actually had a really hard time in my life feeling like I belong to any group right Mm. because if i was with my asian friends i was the white one if i was with my you know white friends i was they literally called me secret asian man which i think is still funny (laughs) but like back then it was really bad for my identity right i wasn't as confident in myself um as before and it's just like i think i've been able to code myself and be really good at being like that's fucked up (laughs) like i don't this is not cool right and i'm I might be a little, it's funny because a lot of people look at me and you are like, oh, you're energetic, you're a nice guy, but I'm also pretty confrontational. Like, when something is up, right, mm. um, I went to a talk once that said, all feelings of being uncomfortable are temporary, and so I live like that, and, um, you know, I'm just going to try to make temporary as short as possible, and I think confronting people for a lot of these things would be would be it, because, again, like... Empathy is a big part of solutions. And if we don't come with that empathy, even with some really awful people, like I get it might, you know, I have some family that is, you know, not politically where I stand, right? (laughs) Yesterday was a hard day for me, for example. Um, And, you know, if any time that, you know, this person, you know, changes and acknowledges like, you know, something that happens, I'm probably going to talk to them right and you know that empathy is important people can change and you know you got to give people a chance but if you never give them that chance they're just gonna get mad um and so providing those opportunities is is so important because again even as a kid i was a preschool uh, teacher for a while i could i could tell like we would do uh playground games for example and the kids who weren't white would always get picked last um i realized there wasn't a black doll in my classroom it's not something i thought about Right. Um, I live mm-hmm. in Boulder. It's one of the whitest cities of the country. So these are the types of things that I want people to just be aware of. I want people to be able to clock that, hey, there's not, you know, a black doll in this classroom and we have a black student. Right. <laughs> we should probably yeah. fix that because, you know, they need to see that they're OK and that they're not wrong, that right. their voices aren't shrill. They're 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 talented. They're just being told that right? Because that's the only feedback people get sometimes, right? And, you know, and what I like to say is my DMs are open, my emails are always open for anyone in the industry that just even wants to talk because, you know, sometimes that's all you need. Uh, You know, I was VOD reviewing someone, um, you know, Necra, for example, is someone who's like really popping off. And I remember um, VOD reviewing her really early on and she was just not that confident, right? Mm -hmm. And someone being like, you're good at this, right? Just one person, you know, and then she you know, she did another VOD review and then things have happened and she's one of the most famous casters out there right now, right? And I, again, wonder if she didn't have that support of you're actually good at this. When she first started, what might've happened? Yeah, so I'm just going to be that person, right? <laughs> I'm going to be real awesome. with you. I'm going to be, you know, honest, but I'm also going to help because if you're not ready now, that doesn't mean you're not going to be ready later because you can teach skills. You cannot teach passion.
0: That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Well, I'd love to continue talking on this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, maybe we'll get a part two soon, sooner rather than later. But uh, yeah, I love this well, stuff. a little bit over an hour. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's like passionate conversation, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's I'm so not... easy.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people are afraid to have passionate, impactful conversations, right? It should be hard to talk about these things sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, it is what our world is. It is real. And you can take, you know, my word for what it's worth. But hopefully from here, someone takes, hey, you know, maybe I can get a job here. Or these two people are obviously on my team. Let me reach out to them and see what, what I can do, right? And that's enough, right? I don't need anything more than that. Um, if it's there, that's cool. That's really good for my ego. But, <laughs> you know, again, it's just, hard conversations should be normalized to have in my opinion and and things like this are how we do that so i really appreciate you coming on and engaging with me like that
0: i mean actually i feel like you've done 90 percent of the work in this podcast uh, <laughs> dude so <laughs> so thank you uh for coming on where is your next gig where can people find you all the good stuff
1: i do have some tft things coming up um i host a game show called first or eighth every month i highly recommend that because uh, i have full reign on what i can do and i get to do my little uh i'm a little bit of a troll on the inside i'm from the east coast originally so i'm my trash talk, I think, is pretty top tier. So I get to kind of just like make fun of my contestants the whole time, and it's super fun. Um, but, and they're all super smart, and uh, it's a really cool TFT game show with really good creatives behind it. I'll be casting some things in the future. Um, every Thursday, I cast TFT Fight Night Rising, and I also have some Overwatch stuff coming up. Um, there's going to be a uh, Blast from the Past type of event, and I think I'm going to be casting some goats. Wow. <laughs> I casted oh, goats boy. for two years and then got dropped. <laughs> 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 oh man sometimes you just gotta laugh at that um uh, but yeah you can uh, find me casting that and i like tweeting about a lot of stuff i have three really cute dogs so at pupasaurus rex if you want to see um and you're gonna get some politics there by the way but uh just warning you
0: <laughs> yeah. yep all right very cool very cool well thank you again for coming on i really mean it about the uh the parts i feel like there's so much about like the business side of things that can be um explored Uh, it's it's like it it still feels like it's developing more so than even the casting side is and the casting side still like an infancy as well Mm -hmm. uh but especially like businesses and and well-run businesses we're not too far away from the years where someone would take the money and run you know yeah um so it's it's all fascinating but uh, i have to be another day so thank you all for watching hope you enjoyed it i hope to see you back here for episode 42 i do have to do one more thing that i've forgotten to do um so let me go ahead and pull that up which is to thank the patreons so that's always important thank you guys for the patreon patreon.com slash zombie grub uh for questions, behind the scenes, all that good stuff, Um, but also for going above and beyond in the support. Thank you guys, Nick, Vinny, Steven, E.T., and Ravi for doing that. And now I hope to see you guys for episode 42. Bye-bye.